morning is from James 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. God, we acknowledge that there's something very ordinary about this moment. People gathered in a basically ordinary room, the chatter of children, uh, the rustling of papers. It's just what life is. But we believe what you say which is to believe what we cannot see and even perceive, and that is that God is here. And that your word is not just a collection of human words or ink on a page or puffs of air in our ears, but your word that we're about to hear is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through hardened hearts, pierce through our doubts, pierce through the resistance of our flesh, pierce through the discouragement of our souls, pierce through anything. And that raises our hope. Because that means in the next few minutes, lives can change. Something real can happen. Not because of us, but because of you. Not because we're righteous, but because of your mercy. So have mercy upon us now, O God. Unstop our ears. Pierce our hearts with your gracious sword of the Spirit, your word. And receive glory from our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're finishing our 
summer-long study of the book of James. We're in the very last section here. Next week, as we kick off our community, our ministry year for the fall, we'll be starting a new sermon series on the vision, mission of our church, just to make sure collectively we're on the same page, moving in the same direction, especially for those of you who might be new or newer to our church community. But today, our passage brings us back to the theme of prayer, prayer. And if you've been tracking with us over the last couple months, especially the last few weeks, you know that James has repeatedly been calling us to humility. As he wrote in chapter four, just the last chapter, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. And of course, one of the most vital expressions of humility, this submission to God, this yearning to draw near to God, one of the most vital expressions of this is prayer. Because self-reliant people don't need to ask for help. Proud people don't pray. But for those who are hungry for help, those who long for the grace of God, those who seek the nearness of God, does that describe you this morning? Prayer is a gift, even a gift of life itself. Our passage teaches us a few things about prayer. We'll run through a few of these lessons right now. The first of which is that we should pray continually. Pray continually. Listen to verse 13 right from the top. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Pray, pray, pray. It's worth pausing just for a second here to make sure that we hear the very simple call to pray. That area of, of hardship or trouble in your life, that burden that you have been bearing, Will you today carry it to God in prayer? Will you even this afternoon set aside even a few minutes, maybe a whole hour, to bring it to God in prayer? Some of us do much better at thinking about things rather than praying about things. Some of us do much better trying to solve our problems rather than praying over our problems. Some of us worry better than we pray. Myself, I feel like I've been doing all those things these days. Here's an invitation to the grace of Christ in prayer. Bring those things to God even on your knees. But these opening verses say more to us than just this, let them pray. Suffering, joy, illness. Here is a call to pray in all kinds of circumstances. Not just one part of your life, 
not just one time of day. God doesn't want to just hear about the bad news only or the good news only in your lives. He wants to hear about all of it. As one commentator put it this way, we sanctify every pleasure and consecrate every pain. Bring it all to God, every kind of circumstance. And what this means then is all throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout every moment, will you be engaged with God in prayer? This echoes what other parts of the New Testament say about the constancy of prayer for those who follow Christ. For example, in Ephesians 6, verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll be honest. I used to hear or read those very verses and just start to feel tired out. Maybe some of you are receiving this word in that fashion already. Pray continually, as if it's merely a call or command for more spiritual activity. But see, what I think the Bible is really getting at here is for us to understand prayer and the constancy of prayer as a reflection of prayer as an ongoing life of uninterrupted communion with God. See, it's not that this is an invitation just to do more. I need to do more religious things, spiritual things, prayer-like things. It's rather, I need to be in a constant state of dialogue, of relationship, of intimacy with my God through Christ who makes that possible. After all, one of the most great and amazing gifts of the gospel is that we are able to know the God of the universe as a friend. Just last chapter, we're told that. When James calls us out and says, you seem more like friends of the world than friends with God. In the first chapter of James, he told us one of the great blessings is the blessing that Abraham himself received, which was that God called him a friend. And friends... How do you treat your friends? Well, you just shoot them a quick text, don't you? When something comes up. Uh, you, you say, hey, I'm going through a hard time. Maybe you pick up the phone. Uh, maybe you send them a message. Uh, maybe you pull them aside. Or when good things happened, you send them a, a flurry of emojis. No one knows exactly what you mean by them, of course. But they know you're happy. You're disclosing your heart to them. But it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? At all hours of the day, you let your friends interrupt yourself because you want to be in constant relationship with one another. A random text message here or a group text message, maybe you're in one of these chains that I'm on, three other friends from all across the country, just at random hours of the day where someone pops in with a totally irrelevant topic, no introduction, you just start throwing out a thought. It's an ongoing, 
even unfocused, that's okay, dialogue among friends. That's prayer. That's the constancy of the life of prayer that we're called to. Good times, hard times, trouble, illness, pray continually. You see, at the heart of it all, this is good news. Prayer is an invitation to friendship with God. It's why the ancient Christians long ago used to describe prayer with this Latin phrase, ascensus mentis ad deum. I don't know Latin. But it means a climbing up of the heart unto God. A climbing up of the heart unto God. Pray continually. Engage with God. Do what you do when you're in relationships. At least vital, healthy relationships. Secondly, relatedly, pray happily. Pray happily. By this, I don't mean that all our prayers need to be cheerful. No, the Bible and even the book of James invites us to weeping in prayer, to lament. Even in this very passage, we're called to confess our sins. What I mean by pray happily is this reference in this verse right here where it says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Do you know that there's a kind of prayer that God invites you to engage in that sounds more like singing, that actually is singing as a bubbling over of your heart of faith. Here's why I think that's important. Because if you only bring God your sorrows, by which I don't just mean bringing your sadness, but rather if you're only bringing requests to fix things all the time, before you know it, you may be in danger of having a merely transactional relationship with God. He longs for something far more personal. Not just, what will you do for me, God? But rather, God, let me just disclose my heart to you. There's almost no mm, practical value to sharing with somebody the happinesses of your heart, right? Why would you do that? Why do you text or call or turn to a friend and say, guess what happened to me? It's not because you want something out of them. It's simply what people do when they love each other. Share their joy. Do you do that with God? Because you love him. Because you know he loves you. Don't you know one of the, the, the clearest most concrete and vibrant signs of a healthy, flourishing relationship and faith in God is that you, on a regular basis, share your joys with Christ. You tell him what's on your heart. You tell him what's making you click your heels or high-five the world. It's what's part of a personal, covenantal relationship with God. Let them sing songs of praise. You know, James is clearly talking about prayer, so when he says sing songs, he's saying that there's a kind of singing that's also a praying. It's why the Bible gives us a whole book of them called the Book of Psalms. Do you sing in the midst of your prayers? 
Do you break out into a little hum, perhaps? Do you intentionally maybe even work in specific songs to your times of prayer? I want to encourage some of you, draw down some of the lyrics to Heal Us, Emmanuel, which we sang. Use that as a devotional song in your prayers this week. Because this is the kind of communion that God invites us to. The old mystic Teresa of Avila, a wonderful author and spiritual guide to many, many across generations, once said this, just these two words God spoke changed my life. Enjoy me. Do you know a God who's so generous and radiant in his beauty, so longing to share the glory of his goodness with you, that he invites you, even commands you, enjoy me. This is good news. Our prayers should be filled with songs of praise. Our homes, our hearts should be filled with songs of praise. Pray happily. Thirdly, pray holistically. Thirdly, pray holistically. Uh, by which I mean that we're called to pray both about bodily matters, physical things, as well as inward things, spiritual matters in our souls. See, some of us, I think, on a regular basis are, are finding it easier to pray for physical needs. I'm sick, or an aunt of mine is sick, or there's a physical crisis that I can see and measure. Can we please pray for those things? For you, the challenge might be learning to see that God is at work at a deeper level as well. It's not that he doesn't care about those material things. It's that he's also doing something underneath the surface. That might be your challenge. Other people might have the reverse challenge. Maybe you believe that really God, what he cares about is the inward things, the spiritual matters, things you can't see. Maybe you even poo-poo prayers about the physical things, the concrete things. Maybe you feel like God is above uh, is caring about the cold that you have or about the aching back that you suffer through. Do you know God cares about it all? God cares about the whole of your humanity. He made all of you. He loves all of you. He is redeeming all of you. So he wants you to pray about all of you. And this is what we find here in this passage. As we know right from the top, James invites us to pray for illness, sickness. But he also says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. You see, body and soul do both. And of course, praying for physical healing is something that some of us maybe hesitate to do. Uh, we're afraid of being disappointed sometimes. We don't know how to do it. It is true that oftentimes our prayers of healing for physical ailments are things that God works out through ordinary means, through our immune systems. He answers us through the help of doctors, through the help of technology. That too can be a way that God answers our prayers for healing. And he does also, indeed, even today, occasionally, 
answer those prayers through miraculous means, working against the ordinary laws of nature. These things do, in fact, happen inexplicably, even though they surely test our faith. God never promises us exactly how he will heal and even when he will heal, but he does offer us to trust him that he cares to heal us and cares for our bodies. He calls us also to a spiritual kind of healing, to come to one another with vulnerability, to confess our sins to each other, to pray for each other, to be able to say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I'm having a hard time with this. To be able to care for other people in their spiritual needs. You see this in the section at the very bottom. He closes out this section on prayer, thinking about those who have wandered from the faith. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Some of us, maybe our commitment for this week needs to be to remember to pray for somebody who has wandered from the truth, from the gospel, from the love of Christ's community. Maybe what you need to do is to love someone back into the fold by praying over the state of their heart, of their distance from God, of the ways in which they have wandered away from the truth of Christ. All these ways in which we're called to pray for physical things, for spiritual things, indeed for all things. Fourthly, we're called to pray expectantly. To pray with faith, believing that God hears and answers our prayers. Again, not always in the way that we might want or expect, but still to be expectant and hopeful that God does not turn his face away from our cries. We see in verse 15 that prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Earlier in James 1, we heard the exhortation that we must pray and not doubt. Not being double-minded, saying at the same time, well, let's pray for this, but God isn't going to do something about it anyway. Praying with faith. Verse 16, the call to pray like a person believing that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And James gives, as an example of this, Elijah, who was not a perfect person. In fact, James emphasizes that he was just like us. In fact, if you were to go back to the book of Kings, you would learn that Elijah was prone to depression, even prone to self-pity. Uh, he had many weaknesses, and he struggled just like we do. And yet his prayers were answered powerfully. And we struggle, don't we, with cynicism about prayer, not being sure that prayer, quote-unquote, works. Or maybe because we sort of lean into a kind of a naturalist view of the world, meaning even if you're a professing Christian, you start to believe that there isn't more than meets the eye. That really it's just this world and the laws of the physical laws of nature that dictate how things operate. So why bother praying? 
The Bible calls us to a different kind of faith, a different kind of praying, an expectant kind of praying, even when it feels far beyond our ability. In fact, if you're not praying in a way that makes you feel like you're stretching beyond your normal means, you probably aren't praying expectant prayer. That's the point. It requires faith, not in prayer itself, as if it's some magical incantation, but rather faith in God. I'm going to share with you a story that I read from this actual commentary in the book of James that I found helpful, Uh, but it was written by professor, pastor, and author Dan Doriani, who was a professor at Covenant Seminary, and uh, Yancey may have taken some classes from him, and uh, wrote about his experience with praying for that which we all struggle to pray for from time to time, and that's physical healing. And this is what he describes in one experience that stood out to him, and you have to understand, Dr. Doriani is a straight-laced, pretty mild-mannered, very rational Presbyterian. (laughs) And this is what he writes. A friend suffered a a viral infection of the heart. While it was not a heart attack, it mimicked many of the symptoms of one. My friend felt listless. He looked gray and lifeless. One day at church, I told him that James 5 instructs elders to lay hands on the sick and to pray for their healing. I suggested that he call the elders for that very purpose. Two weeks later, he told me he wanted to proceed. No one in the church had done this before, so we did something very Presbyterian. We studied the matter another six weeks and hoped he didn't die in the meanwhile. At last, we appointed a night for prayer, and the elders gathered. Our church's pastor, I was the college professor at the time, summoned the elders. Before we pray, he told us not to expect a dramatic physical healing since God heals in many ways. I appreciated his motive, but there was no need to restrain my enthusiasm. My doubting heart was already skeptical enough. My friend knelt down in the middle of a circle of elders. We anointed him with oil, laid hands on him, and began to pray. Since I had started the process, I was appointed to offer the closing prayer. As soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was at that moment healing my friend. My arms felt what I can only describe as bolts of fire pulsing through them. As I grasped my friend's shoulder, heat and energy burned in my hand. I felt that my one hand could lift all of his 230 pounds to the ceiling or push him through the floor if I wished. I knew God was healing him. I wanted to shout, we must stop praying that God will heal John and start praising God that he has healed him. But I was too astonished, too unsure of my sensations to say a word to anyone that night. For four days, I kept my experience to myself. Four days later, after church, my friend beckoned to me with a wild grin. Dan, watch this. At once, he dashed up a flight of stairs. I dashed after him and met him at the top. He smiled, and I'm not even breathing hard. I knew it, I exclaimed. 
and told him what I had felt a few nights earlier. And he told me, I knew it too. God heals. God answers prayer. And I don't read this story to present it to you as the normative experience for those who pray or specifically pray for healing. As I've already said a couple times, God's answers to our prayers are often not what exactly we want and not according to the timetable that we often have ourselves. But I mentioned this story in this section of the sermon simply to say this. What do you believe is possible? What do you believe God can do? And receive not only the promise of God's word, receive also the testimony of other saints, other people that even against their own temperament, I'm telling you, you got to meet Dr. Doriani, against his own temperament, the unlikeliness of God doing this with this particular individual, believing even in the testimonies of one another. Friends, prayer really works because God works and is working. I mean, friends, really, as we're talking about the importance of, of praying expectantly, what have you given up praying for? Where you've begun to believe, I don't know that it's going to happen, or God doesn't care, or I've prayed long, but he hasn't answered, or that thing is actually getting worse, not better. What is it? A relationship? A physical ailment? A job that you've been looking for? A situation in the world? The brokenness down the street? What might it be? Oh, friends, I don't say this flippantly, neither does God's word, but pray with hope. We are, after all, people that believe in the resurrection. God can do all things. Pray like resurrection people. Pray resurrection prayers. Fifthly, pray jointly. I'll move through this quickly as we move towards our close. Pray jointly because everything that I just said in praying expectantly requires the support of one another. Our faith needs support, needs help. And one of the best ways to grow in expectant prayer is to pray together. We heard James say, uh, pray for each other. Confess your sins to one another. Even this instance of calling the people of God to pray in the cases of extreme illness, to go to your elders in the church and to ask them to pray. And by the way, this whole idea of anointing with oil is simply a way of symbolically Helping people to, to know the nearness of God, giving us, you know, we sometimes need a, a tangible, tactile thing, a little oil on the forehead. In the ways that Jesus, sometimes when he healed people, he would touch their lips, touch their ears. Once he even spit his own saliva and touched it upon a, a person's mouth, tongue, before he healed their muteness. God wants to help us in our weakness to feel even with our bodies that we're near. So he said, just put a dab of oil on their forehead and help them to know that God touches you. God is near to you. God is listening to you. And let the elders pray. K 
care for one another in community. Don't just try to pray on your own. Pray with one another. Pray for one another because we are, after all, reenacting the very presence of God, Christ who promises always to be with us to the very end of the age. Christ who promises always to be the chief prayer praying for us. Do you know that's what Jesus is doing? Praying for you even now. Pray for one another. Pray with one another. And receive the grace of God from each other. It might be in your neighborhood groups. It might be with a friend. Maybe you need to be intentional this week in some conversation that you have with someone. It might even feel awkward for a moment. But just to say, hold on, time out. Can we pray together? It might be before a meal that you share especially someone in the church if you meet up for a meal or for coffee, just to say, hey, we just talked for an hour. Can, can, can we just pray for 30 seconds about what we just talked about? Lift it up in prayer together because we need one another. One thing that I'd love to invite you to enter into together in praying in community but also individually is a helpful prayer resource or tool that's called the Daily Prayer Project. It's been developed by some of our brothers and sisters at Grace Mosaic, our sister congregation, led by Pastor Joel Littlepage. And it's actually a resource that gradually is being shared across different churches around the country. It's a really helpful guide that lets you use a guide to structure your prayers each day Monday through Sunday, so all around the week, using different forms of prayer. It's historical because it uses forms of prayer based upon global expressions of faith around the centuries, around the world. It's liturgical, which means, you know, sometimes prayer is hard because you sit there and you're like, I don't know what to say. This actually gives you a few words to say if not at least to jumpstart some of your prayers. It focuses not just on praying for things and others, but also just spending time with God, abiding with Christ. It's scriptural. It includes a daily reading from the Bible that you're doing, again, jointly with other people that are in the same material. It's flexible so that if you feel overwhelmed by the full list of things that you can do each time, you can also pick and choose different things that are working for you in this season of life. And it's something that you can do with your children if you have children, or with your roommates if you have roommates. Something you can do to build into your family's rhythm, your daily rhythm. It's a wonderful resource, and you'll hear more about it in the coming week, in the coming weeks. A great way for you to start off with new rhythms of prayer this fall. Uh, friends, pray and pray for each other and pray with one another. Uh, this project of prayer is not something you're called to do in isolation. It's something that we do struggle with. I do. It's something we're called then to struggle with together and to struggle to pray expectantly together through structured means, through spontaneous means, individually and in community. I want to close with one more story that Dr. Doriani shares in the same book. Another word of encouragement to close, believe in the possibility of God, 
in the promise of prayer. He writes, even after I had seen others healed, I had a hard time applying it with my family. When my friend's heart was healed, my baby daughter was suffering a terrible rash all over her body for the first 11 months of life. We had to keep her skin covered all the time, even on the hottest days. For the moment her skin was uncovered, she began tearing at it. She screamed until the walls shook. No matter how rapidly we changed or washed her, she tore at her skin so furiously that her fingernails made hundreds of tiny lacerations on her skin. As concerned as we were, it was hard for me to call the elders to pray over her skin. It was just a rash. More than that, I must confess that though I taught others about praying for healing, I struggled to keep my own skepticism at bay. After all, we were already praying for her and nothing was happening. We did call the elders eventually, but when the hour came, I fell flat and defeated. The elders left our home after a while. I immersed myself in work and thought of my daughter and her anointing flew from my mind. Then, a few hours later, I thought I heard the sound of soft weeping coming from upstairs. I left my books, walked to the stairs and called up, uh, is everything all right? Is someone crying? Someone was crying. It was my wife from the bathroom where sweet tears of joy ran down her face. I climbed toward her and she looked from me to our baby and choked out the words, she's playing in her bathtub. For the first time in her life, she's playing in her bathtub. Friends, what are you holding back from God? What are you refusing to believe that God can answer, that God can do? What might it look like for you to pray continually in uninterrupted communion with God? What might it look like for you to pray expectantly, believing in a God of love, believing in a God of resurrection? Let's pray. Oh, we believe, help our unbelief. We bring our broken selves to you, O oh God. And we pray that you would help us to pray. We trust in you. We know that you desire good for us. Jesus, even for this life of faith, this too you died for, rose for, gave us your spirit for. Jesus, even this is for you. Teach us to pray. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.